Thanks for tuning into the ES First podcast. We'd love to connect with you on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. So take a minute to hop on over and give us a like or a follow. And of course, if you're ever in Excelsior Springs, stop on by. We can't wait to welcome you home. Good to see you in church today. It's good to be here. Are you ready? We are a church that believes in the Bible, so we preach through books of the Bible. Right now we're in the book of John. The book of John is a, a narrative. It's the story of Jesus. There's four stories of Jesus in the Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John is the fourth. It is unlike the others. It talks less about what Jesus did and actually talks more about who Jesus was. The purpose in this is that John is writing because he wants you to believe in Jesus. And who better to write about Jesus and who he was than probably one of his closest friends. So John is actually old in age. He's actually exiled to an island. And it sounds like a paradise, but it's actually a prison. Paradise sometimes becomes a prison. And for John, he's stuck on this island and he writes the book of Revelation and he's on his knees in prayer and he writes this gospel of John. It's probably written between 70 and 90 AD. So after the separation of Jesus. So you're looking at probably 30 or 40 years after Jesus's death. I like to subscribe that it was probably between 80 and 90 AD for you, you know, theological history buffs, like, and you want to get into this, we can talk about it. But I subscribe to that fact. So it's later on, a lot of the books about Jesus and the letters have already been written, the ministry has already gone on. And John begins to pen this story about his best friend, Jesus. As a matter of fact, when he refers to himself in his own book, usually he says this, the one whom Jesus loved, All right? Now, most of us, when we talk about God, we don't usually say, Jesus loves me so much, do we? Like, I'm the one who Jesus loves so much because he's got an idea of what it's like to be close to Jesus. So John keeps writing, the one who Jesus loved. And we often refer to John as John the beloved. He's beloved by God. As a matter of fact, he spent a lot of his time with Jesus. And at the end of Jesus's life, Jesus is hanging on a cross. He is dying and everybody else has left him. There's three women and there's John standing at the foot of the cross. And Jesus kind of gives his last living will. And he says to Mary, his mother, he's like, look at this guy right here. He's like, that's now your son. In other words, this will be the person who takes care of you. He entrusts his own mother to John the Beloved. That's how close they were. So when he starts writing about Jesus, what he is writing from it is not some kind of perspective like a pastor 2,000 years later. He's not writing some kind of perspective as like somebody who heard this story. He is writing as somebody who knew Jesus very, very well. And so his story tends to reflect his relationship with Jesus and not just a book report about Jesus. You get what I'm saying? So that's the book of John. We are just dabbling in it. We're just putting our toe in. We're in chapter two. And next week, we're going to have a very special guest speaker. I've been preaching for a while here and I have not heard anybody quite like this man. So I'm going to have him come and explain chapter three to you. And his name is Josh Lester. So you don't want to miss next week. There you go. If you missed Palm Sunday, he preached on Palm Sunday. It was online and it was a phenomenal sermon. But he's going to drop some science on you next week. And before we get into that, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about Jesus in the temple and prayer. Are you ready? Here we go. John chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 13. 
When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords, drove all from the temple courts, get out of here, both sheep and cattle, and he scattered the coins of money changers and overturned their tables. That's exciting. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews responded to him, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? And Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you are going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. Now, while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word of God. We know it's powerful and effective in our life. We know that it divides deep between the places that don't make sense to us. They're places that you crafted and you made. Today, as we have so many questions about who we are, what we think and what we're doing, where we're going, we know that you have answers for us and they are life. I pray that this word today would just saturate our hearts, that we would feel overwhelmed by your presence and see and know that you're good. In Jesus' name, amen. There's this word that people throw around a lot. It's intentions. And, you know, if you study psychology and all stuff, people say, are you going to be intentional? Because this is the word intentional. You need to be intentional. And if I say it enough times, you're going to get so annoyed with it. But what I want to talk about a little bit is what are your intentions? Now, if you've ever been a young man and you had to face a young woman's dad, you might have heard them say this. What are your intentions with my daughter, sir? Right? And amongst you, try not to pee your pants. A little nervous and sweaty about the girl anyway. And now you got her dad on the page and everything's happening. It's like, what are your intentions? What are you planning to do with your life? It's intention is not just something that is like the plan for the day and, and whatever. It's, it's deep down in your soul. What do you want to have happen? Where do you want to go? Where do you hope that your life will turn out. Intention is so special that if you do not have intentions, you will find yourself tossed about by life back and forth. And you'll go, I'm not sure I have an intention about anything. I just want it to go well. Right. And so what we often get to is this intention and we question others intentions. Right. And if you've been hurt enough, everybody that comes along, you'll be like, I don't really trust your intentions. And they might say a certain word or do a certain thing. And you're like, what did you mean by that? Right? I just said I wanted some pizza. What did you mean by that, though? But what really do you mean? Right? And we've been in circles where somebody might talk like they're talking kind and sweet and loving. And they're trying to encourage you. But, you know, deep down inside, they want to tear you down. Anybody have any of those people in their lives? Sometimes we call them haters. I'm going to tell you something. Not everybody hates you as much as they think you do. So get over yourself. Secondly, sometimes deep in your soul, you're like, what are your intentions? What did you mean by that? 
And so here in this book of John, what we have is, is actually Jesus is walking the earth. And we have thousands of years with people being intentional about things, but they actually have the wrong intentions. They're a little bit off. Have you ever experienced going after something for a very long time and then figuring out, I don't want to do this anymore? This is not the intentions that I had. This is not where I wanted to end up. And then you have to reframe some things. So God is very, very intentional about a couple things. He's an intentional about his heart towards his people. And he is intentional about many directions. And the problem being about all of the directions that God gives is that in following the directions, they often miss the intentions of God towards his people. So here, what happens is that they are going to the temple. Now, the temple was established a couple weeks ago. I talked about this in tents in the middle of the desert. Okay. And it was this place where God would come and he would visit his people. Why? Not because he's in the tents and camping, not because he has a membership at REI and has all the right chairs, not because he wanted to run everybody through the muck and make them follow a bunch of rules. That's not what he wanted. What he wanted to do is he wanted to visit his people and talk to his people. We know this because in the Garden of Eden, when he created Adam and Eve, his intentions were to come down and visit for them to have purpose, for them to have relationship. Adam and Eve's relationship with God was all about connection. So God is establishing ways to have connection. And so for thousands of years, this is the way they do it. They go into these tents, they sacrifice an animal, they cover for their sins, and that way they can restore relationship between God and man. In long about 930-ish, 38, Solomon builds the temple. Okay, so they take this idea of these tents and it's like the exact same layout, except for they make brick and mortar buildings. And now they're coming into the temple. It's the most fabulous building. Even the Queen of Sheba wants to come and see this great thing that Solomon has built and created. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing for God. They have this huge deal. Solomon's killing basically thousands of animals and sacrifice to God. They have trumpets. They have all of this stuff. And you thought graduation preparation was tough. They're doing all of this for God. They're preparing all these people to be in the right place, the right time, because it's the system of how they are connecting with God. It is their way to connect with God. What happens then is that a couple decades after their temple gets sacked and a bunch of stuff stolen and it, it's damaged, okay? And they repair it and they fix it back up. But then along about 700 BC, so before Christ, years go down to zero, okay? So we have 900 into 700. 700, it gets destroyed and the temple gets tore up and the Assyrians come in and they kind of take over and they take some people captive and they kind of leave the temple in shambles. But eventually they start rebuilding again. And there's a couple kind of Alexander the Great and Pompey come through and they kind of ransack. And, and there's a lot of stuff going on in this place where God has set up to worship, where they want everything to go right, where they have intentioned to do something great for God, but it's not going as planned. And so then in about 580 something, Babylonia comes in and they just obliterate the Jews. They don't just ransack and steal everything out of the temple. They take everything and all of the people and they are basically captive. And so what happens is for 600 years or so, worship is squashed. 
sacrifice is squashed. Relationship with God is squashed. As a matter of fact, one of the prophets says, write Ichabod over the door of the temple because Ichabod means the glory has departed. The relationship, the presence of God has departed from this place because the people of God were so intentioned on doing church that they forgot to honor God. Long about 20 AD, Herod the Great, he's the ruler of the area around Jerusalem. He is Jewish, but he is also serving the Roman governor. So the Roman Empire spans from Rome, Italy, all the way up and around. We're talking about Julius Caesar and Caesar Augustus, and they're just conquering and ruling. So it wraps around the Mediterranean to Israel. And this is where Herod's place to rule is. Well, he wants to be a good politician. And so he says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to restore the temple for the Jews. And that'll get me good favor with these people, and then they'll serve me. So long about 20 AD, this is 20 years before zero, and then Jesus is alive 30 years after AD, zero to 30. That makes sense? So we have 20, he rebuilds the temple, it is beautiful. It is the place that they're fighting over right now between Palestine and Israel. It is where the Dome of the Rock is. It is the Temple Mount. I have been there and prayed at the Western Wall. It is the oldest wall in probably the world right here at this place. It is the last original remaining wall of this temple. It is huge. The doors that would enter into the temple, like if you saw a picture, you would think that they're just, you know, seven foot like all the ones in your house, but they're not. They're like 20 foot tall. I mean, this is how big they are. And Herod makes this incredible temple. So the Jews, they have the great days of Solomon. They have, they've been ransacked. They've gone through all this stuff. God is the glory departed. So when Herod comes along and he builds the temple, they're like, "Woo! God likes us again. This is exciting. Let's get back to worship. Let's get back to sacrifice. Let's do this thing. Used to be why they didn't have a temple. They had all these other places, like little home bases. They called them high places. And you could go in your own hometown at like a local courthouse and you could just slaughter your sheep there and then you would be good for the year. But that's not what God said. That's not what God wants. He wants temple worship. So they go to the temple and they say, here's the deal. I know thousands of years it used to be this way. You'd have to raise a sheep, pure spotless lamb from little tiny age. And you have to make sure it's okay. No blemishes, absolutely spotless fur. All of this has to be just right. And then you're going to bring the sheep that you have prepared for the whole entire year to the temple. And you're going to sacrifice it. And that'll cover the sins of you and your family for the year. This is what temple worship is. Now, when Jesus walks into the temple, what he finds is not people coming to bring their best or coming to honor God in the way that he intentioned them to. What they find is a lot like what we find at the Chiefs game. Okay? Now, it sounds really weird, but here's Passover. Passover is incredible celebration. It is the only, I think it's one of two actually, festivals that you have to make a pilgrimage. If you're a Jewish man and you want to honor God, you have to show up at the temple on Passover. That means the population of millions of people all have to be in the same city, which is not a very big city, all on the same weekend. Okay? Now, Imagine everybody bringing their animal with them. Not just like your little dog in a carrier at the airport. You got this sheep 
and it's a lamb and it's perfect and you're trying to keep it perfect. So that way, when you get there, it's just the way you planned it to be. You're trying to bring your best and everybody's bringing their best and everybody's in the same place and everybody's standing in line to get into the temple and please sacrifice my sheep. And so they came up with a system. They said, here's what we're going to do. In the temple courts, we're going to bring sacrifices. We got cattle, we got sheep, and we even got doves, okay? And here's the thing. Doves were for people who didn't have the money to buy a sheep or a cattle. It's like, you know, you just give a little sacrifice. Just figure out something for Jesus to help him be connected to you, to show him that you're serious, and that's what we'll do. We'll have a dove. Okay, And if you want a sheep, hey, come over here, $75.99, we can get you this sheep and you can show God that you really love him. If you're really serious, we got an ox and it's going to be beautiful, it's wonderful, check out this heifer right here. And they would sell sacrifice. Okay, What this does is throughout the year, it's kind of like filing your taxes. People are like, hey, you got... You got April 15th, it's tax day. You got your taxes done? And then there's people that are just like, nah, bro, I filed that extension, right? They're usually people that have other stuff going on. People that have businesses. They got more than just their little turbo tax that you're gonna send in a W-2 and get it for free. They're the people that usually owe lots of money. <laughs> They're the people that they gotta pay their CPA, you know, good amounts of money. Like, nah, man, I got that extension, right? And so I can imagine somebody walking to the neighborhood, hey, you got your lamb ready for sacrifice? We got ours. It's right here, pure and spot. Check out this thing. It is amazing, and God's going to honor us. And they're like, nah, bro, I'm just going to go to the temple and pick one up when I get there. You starting to see how this works? It's acceptable worship. It fills all the rules, but it leaves out the relationship. Leaves out the relationship. And so what happens is that people that are then selling the sacrifice are then marking it way up. Hey, you, you need a sacrifice? I got a dove. And like, I could have bought that same dove at home for a dollar. It's like, yeah, sorry, this one's 20 bucks. But at least you didn't have to take all year and raise it. You know, it's good enough. It fits the bill, right? So they're going to the temple. And then on top of that, you have money changers. Money changers are people, you come in with your currency. Well, you're going to need the temple's currency. So we'll take your money and we'll change it out and charge you a fee. In which case, you have millions of people exchanging money all the same time. Guess who's not going to be all that honest? The money changers. So when Jesus comes in to Passover, it's not that he was surprised by this. I don't know if he kind of worked it up ahead of time. When I get there, they're going to, you know. But he walks in and he like, he sees that the intentions that God had for humanity are not being fulfilled in this system of worship. And so what he does is he takes some cords and he takes them and, and starts whipping people and animals and yeah, get out of here. He runs everybody out and they pay attention. Like I, in the Bible, it said that zeal for his house would consume him. All right. But in the other three gospels in this story is, is a very key piece of information that Jesus says to everyone. And I want to show it to you in Luke chapter 19. Are you ready? It is written, he said to them, my house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. 
Notice it doesn't say my house will be a house of payment. It doesn't say my house will be a house of sacrifice. My house will be a house of obedience. My house will be a house of holiness. What is the purpose of God's house? It's his intention for humanity. It is connection. God never, even though he's holy, was so concerned about your holiness. He's concerned about his relationship with you, which is why he sent Jesus to pay for your sins because he didn't want it to be an issue for you. He wanted the connection. He's the person who comes in and goes, don't worry, I'll pay for it. I got you because I just want to be connected to you. And this is the intentions of God. So if we go, hey, what's all this temple for? And all these bricks and all this mortar and all this gold and all this stuff and all this sacrifice. What do you mean by that? He says, I just want to be close to you. I knew if I didn't make it special, you wouldn't see the importance in it. I know that if I didn't put a few rules on it, it wouldn't feel like something that was valuable to you. I know if you couldn't see what it was like to raise a lamb from birth to prepare it for me, that you wouldn't understand the relationship. It's a simple task, but it's a constant reminder of the value that comes from the connection. So Jesus says, my house will be a house of prayer. And in all four accounts, the Jews, they're talking about the Pharisees, they come to him and they go, by what authority are you even doing this? What gives you the right to come in and just, you know, unload on everybody and to ruin our worship, to ruin our connection with God, to ruin our sacrifice? After all, we have to do this. Otherwise, we don't get God's approval. And Jesus is actually revealing the intentions of God in this moment. And what he actually says is, hey, I'll tell you what, this is the authority that I have. Tear down this temple and I'll rebuild it in three days. And now for them, they are like flipping out on Jesus. Because if you go back to 900 BC, we built this temple. Our great King David, whom the Messiah will come through, raised the money. Solomon built this temple. You have no idea what we've been through. And now Herod gave us this temple, this beautiful place for us to finally worship. We talk about the Holocaust that happened with Hitler, but they've been through Holocaust and Babylonia and Assyria and people trying to take care of their entire race. He's like, we have been through it and we have this new system of interacting with God. This is God's place. And Jesus is saying, no, it's not. It's not God's place. It looks like it. It's very special, but it's not God's intention. As a matter of fact, let me tell you what God's intention is for this house. That my house will be a house of prayer. But you've made it into a place of robbers. You've made it into a place where they sell cheap sacrifice. You've made it into a place where they don't understand the connection that God has with his people and how special it is. And you are taking it for granted. So Jesus says, I'm going to be the temple. And then it says this little verse, like John's like, hey, when Jesus said that, we didn't know what he meant. But after 
after he rose from the dead, we're like, remember that time when Jesus got, like flipped out on everybody? You know, kind Jesus, you know, hippie and address Jesus, you know. Remember when he was like so kind and loving to the kids and just went ape on everybody else? What was that about? And they go, oh, yeah. He is going to be the temple. And I've been to the temple and I've stood there. I put my prayer request in the wall and there are people praying there day and night. And there is something special that is there at that wall. Trust me, it's a power. And the power of it is that people are trying to connect with God through prayer. They're not in there sacrificing lambs and sheep and cattle and trying to get their deal done. They are crying out to God. And I believe beyond any shadow of a doubt that God's desire for you and him is prayer. Why? Because without connection, without conversation, without commitment to this relationship with God, you will not make it. And so many people I deal with, talk to, my friends, loved ones, they're consumed with the system of sacrifice, but not consumed with connection. And Jesus died for connection. I know people that will argue and teach and go over and over and over and over and over again about how your sins are paid for. Well, Jesus died on the cross and then this happened. And then, you know, you just got to pray and say this. And if you don't do this, if you don't get baptized in this way, and they're over here in this system, it's like they're in this money changer area. And don't get me wrong. Teaching is wonderful. Doctrine is wonderful. But if I hang out here and never move over here to connection, I miss the intentions of God. The Old Testament, it took a temple for you to understand the connection. It took a temple for you to connect with God. In the New Testament, you get Jesus, period. So when he says, I'm going to rebuild the temple, it's going to be a new system. And what you have, nobody else on the planet before Jesus had had. And that's what I was talking about with John the Baptist. As great as John the Baptist is, he is the greatest of all the Old Testament prophets. Of all the people who have ever had God come down and talk to them and rest on them, he is the greatest. He's the greatest man who ever lived. He just goes on and on about John the Baptist. And then he wraps up with this. He's like, as great as John the Baptist is, you can be the worst Christian in the world post-Jesus, and you're better than John the Baptist. That's exactly what he is trying to get across to you. And so when... People come in to me like, no, I just, I feel so disconnected from God. It's it's because we're wrapped up in these systems and not wrapped up in connection. I could teach for the next three years on prayer. I could teach you about the prayer petition. I could teach you about laying hands. I could teach you about binding and loosing and declarations. I could teach you about God's interaction with you and how to pray for people and how to get results. And I could point you to books and we could talk about prayer to a blue in the face. But God doesn't want any of that. All he wants is you to say, hey God, how's it going? I'm here. How was your day? It was good. I made the sun come up. That was kind of rough, but I've got a good system going. I think it's few planets and gravity is really working out. It's a, six days it took me to figure that out. Cool. 
Could you make it stop raining? Because I'm drowning in my basement. <laughs> oh, Brandon, you know how it goes. I don't control the seasons. I just set them in motion. Imagine what it'd be like if you disconnected with God the way that he imagined. Imagine if you could connect in the same way Adam connected. He would just come down in the cool of the day, hang out with Adam. He's like, what'd you name that one over there? I think I'm going to call it a giraffe. Why such a weird name? Why such a weird animal? Yeah, I was trying to make a horse and it took me a minute to get there. You see the lightness that happens when you just take God for who he is? Wasn't it great when you finally got a relationship with your parent or somebody that became a parent to you and you realized that they weren't just trying to spank you all the time? Maybe they were trying to spank you all the time, but they just wanted to connect with you. That's God. He wants relationship. And what is his intention? That he would go as far as it took to have that relationship with you. But you keep buying cheap sacrifice. Pastor, would you pray for me? And then I'll pray for you. That's no problem. My question is, are you connected to God? Are you in a relationship talking it over with God? Are you in relationship in a place in your soul? Are you still hiding from God? Because you're afraid of the shame that you carry. Are you still running from God? Because you think that he doesn't want to have a connection with you. Are you still trying to, to size it up between heaven or hell and how that all works out, which are absolute real places, but are not the intentions of God for your life? Are you still trying to figure out why some people are so connected and you feel so distant? Could it be that you have settled for a system and not a connection with God? In churches all across the globe right now, people are meeting with God. Some are just doing church and some are being the church. Some are just singing songs and jumping around and doing their thing and they'll walk out and they'll have a meal and they'll live life the way they are. And some will interact with the God who has made himself the temple for you. Some will value the connection that comes from prayer. Some will value the word of God that comes from him speaking softly to your soul. And some will walk away content with a $20 sacrifice. Some are manipulated into thinking this is what God wants and miss out on the fact that his intentions are completely different. If we come to the church and don't interact with a God who wants to interact with us, we can gather around a sermon, but it's not God's will for our life. We can sit here and look at the guy talking and miss the one who wants to speak life to your heart and soul. We can come here and hear all the great points and walk out and try to live a perfect life and line it up and, well, I think I'm better because I heard some good advice. Or we can gather around the presence of God. And I believe beyond any shadow of a doubt that ES first is supposed to be a house of prayer. And if you hear me talk for very long, as cool as this building is, especially when it rains leaking down through the roof, it is not the church. You're the church. 
Stop coming to church just to check something off your list and say, God, I got you. And, and yeah, I'm going to get it when I get there. And it's all good. And become a person who lives the church, who is the church every single day of their life. That's the future for you and I. It's every moment forward. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Even this is such a formality, unless you connect with God. The reason why we bow our heads and close our eyes is not because God said to, it's that you can have a private moment with God because he wants to connect with you. The Bible says that he's not a God that's far off. He's at hand, he's close. He is far off. He's so far off that nothing is bigger than him. And yet he is speaking to your soul today. Close. I want to encourage you, would you just find a place to pray? You come to the front, this altar, if you're an altar person, that's awesome. Some people like to just kneel down in their seat and pray. Some people like to stand up and walk around like me. But what we need to do is to be people who don't settle for a sacrifice when the sacrifice has already been made. Let's pray. In just a minute, I'm going to pray, and then I'll invite you to come and find a place to pray. We're just going to take some time and to make this house a house of prayer. In the name of Jesus, we ask the Holy Spirit to come into our lives, penetrate our hearts, fill us up, do great things in our midst right now in this place. We don't need a priest. We don't need a go-between. We don't need a saint. We don't need some other system. What we need is Jesus who paid the price for us to connect with the one who created us. Bring us your presence and your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Find a place to pray. Come to the front if, or wherever you go. If you need somebody to pray with you, we'll pray with you. The staff will be around. But reach out to God.
they have a problem with their intestines and their stomach lower stomach issues you guys can keep praying if you want to just look at me and wave your hand at me if you got that and we'll pray for it anybody okay awesome right. in the name of Jesus we declare healing over the body and intestinal issues gastric issues in Jesus name freedom would come to places that have been bound. We curse sickness and disease. We require the word, the body to line up with the word of God that says by his stripes we are healed. Jesus. trust issues or some, some have trust issues and it's, it's bled into their relationship with Jesus they don't trust Jesus anymore they believe in him but they don't trust him that's you just raise your hand at me trust issues with Jesus thank you says you'll never leave us, never forsake us. You're the one that doesn't walk away. You're the one who stays. You're the one who redeems. You're the one that sticks with us, walks side by side. Even your word says, God, that you leave the 99 to find the one. That's how dedicated you are. We believe you and we trust you now. Silence the voice of the accuser. Silence the voice of doubt in Jesus' name and let faith rise. The gift of faith to rise in these people right now, that they would experience you physically, supernaturally, and they would know you in ways they haven't yet known you. And it would mark their lives, change them forever in your presence, God. Jesus, as they walk it out, to rise up and walk out from a place of doubt, to walk into faith in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.
Anybody else? Low, low blood pressure? I didn't see anybody yet. Just wave at me if that's you. Maybe you don't know you have blood pressure. <laughs> All right, Father, we thank you for thank you for those that the Bible says that life is in the blood. We know that Jesus' blood gives life, but we know it brings healing to our bodies. Right now, in the name of Jesus, this woman with low blood pressure, we just experience healing. And it wouldn't be an issue anymore. It wouldn't be something we worry about. It would be complete. It would be assurance from heaven. In Jesus' name. You just want you want to experience the power of the Holy Spirit. Just raise your hand where you are. That should be a lot of us. I always want to, but um, you can get in on this. It's not something super unique. The power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, just lift your hands where you are. Just, just both of them. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the presence and power of God. Baptize people fresh and anew as they seek you, as they look to you. Just let them experience newness of life, just like that one that was in the hospital room that messaged me and said, I just experienced something so incredible. Just like that one who was just driving along and said, I was just driving home. It was just like something just hit me. And God, right now, in the name of Jesus, we know that you desire to be connected. We leave all formality. We come straight to you and say, connect with us, Jesus. We're here. We need you, God. We love you, Jesus. Spark something new and fresh in us. Baptize us fresh in your presence, God. We want to know you. We want to know you. If you want us to be, to know you, we want to know you, God. We'll clear away the crap and we'll just begin to seek you, to find you and speak to you. In Jesus' name, let it be so natural. Our relationship will be so beautiful. In Jesus' name, give us healing in our souls, the places that have been broken without you. In Jesus' name, the Holy Spirit flow in us. break addictions in this place. Break things that we bought the lie about. Break things that we lean to instead of you, in Jesus' name. Take away cravings. Direct us to your presence and power, in Jesus' name. Bring healing to broken places that we've been just putting band-aids on for too long and they've come out in other ways. God, bring and restore your perfect design to our bodies and minds in Jesus name we thank you Lord for what you're doing right here in this place right here in this place we make it a house of prayer we make it a house of prayer like you said God we want to know you Jesus we want to know you we want to be the beloved the one whom Jesus loves so much let that be our title. 
God, do great and mighty things in our life, in our presence, in our lifetime. Show your glory and who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you give God a big praise?